Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. This morning we work towards the end of Matthew chapter 6 as we see how Jesus frames the church's reformation on faith. In a world that has twisted up what God has given, we will see how true faith is defined by the scriptures and how the insidious nature of worry can paralyze our faith. Thanks for joining us today as we turn to God's Word together. Well, if you can, re- <coughs> if you can remember, uh, this is a series uh, where we're trying to give attention to the way in which our world squeezes us into its mold. Has anyone here been able to identify that in their lives, so that you're able to find the ways as you're now looking for it, that the world conforms your thinking, that you don't think the way God wants you to think, but you see that the world is trying to get you to think like it? Uh, I'd I'd like to just kind of go over where we've been. We started three weeks ago uh, in Matthew 6 on the subject that Jesus begins with, which is giving. Uh, Remember his words. He says, be careful to do not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them so that when you give, how should you give? Remember to give in secret. Uh, We looked at Sunday to come up with a a few conclusions. Remember, uh, we said that we need to give out of our first fruits. That we would honor God first, not not after everything else has been taken care of, after all of the needs, all the bills, all my wants, all my desires, and then, sure, God, whatever's left, we'll hand to you. Do you remember that's what they were doing in the Old Testament? The prophet Malachi says, oh, that someone would shut the doors of the temple. You you offer me defiled sheep. Remember they're offering the crippled ones, the leftover ones? So that was the first thing we saw with giving. Give God your first fruits. Secondly, give in secret, as Jesus has said. And then lastly, give as worship. You don't give with the need to keep the lights on. God's not interested in that. What kind of a giver does God want? Cheerful. Cheerful giver. Uh, does he set a, uh, uh, an amount? It's got to be how much now? No, he doesn't set an amount. He says, whatever you have decided in your heart to give, give. Under no compulsion, uh, not obligatory, not with any sense of guilt. God wants you to give freely, and we understand that to give is worship. Uh, Sunday after that uh, was on prayer. You might remember uh, the illustration of the crowbar. Remember that one? Uh, this idea that uh, some people think there's power in prayer, and really, you don't confuse it. There's power in God, and it's prayer that allows us to connect with God. And why is it that we would want only a portion of our life? include God's influence and power, right? Not just the morning. That's my prayer time. That's it. Or just when things get bad. I think I included in your sermon notes a quote from Terry, uh, Corey Ten Boom. It says, is prayer your uh, main tire? Or uh, Sorry, is it your spare tire or your steering wheel of your life? Right? When do you get out the spare tire? When you get a flat, right? And some people, that's how they use prayer. You know, it's only when life gets bad and then they say, oh, Lord, now I need. Or she says, is it the steering wheel of your life? My challenge to the church was to saturate your life with prayer. Let all of it be filled with prayer. This is what the Apostle Paul says, too, to rejoice always. And in all things with thanksgiving and prayer, present your request to God. Last Sunday, we had our, uh, our rummage sale, and thanks to our volunteers there, but the subject was on worship. Jesus talks about where your treasure is. Do you remember that? Don't store up treasures on, yeah, on earth, because they're temporary. They're not going to last. Instead, store up treasures in heaven. 
Or for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is really a lesson on worship. My challenge to the church was that you would have a rummage sale of your heart, right? You go through the basement and the garage and the attic and why, why am I keeping this stuff? I don't need any of this here, right? Th- these aren't going to last. This isn't where I should place my treasure in. Well, many of our hearts still need to be rummage sale. There's components of this world that have a stronghold in your heart. Look, put those things out on the curb. Put a five cent sticker on them and get rid of them, right? Rummage sale your heart. Because worship is evidenced in our <laughs> obedience to God to love others. Do you remember that from last week? Kind of the main idea. How do you love God? We do so by loving others. John says, who, the, the person here who says that they love God but hates his brother is a liar. Remember that? You're, you're fooling yourself. For who can love God who you've not seen when you don't love your brother who you have seen? So the display of our worship to God is evidenced. Do you remember the pictures, right? What does worship look like? Well, some people think it just looks like this. That's how our culture would want us to think. And though, like I said, rightly posture does play a role. True worship is seen as somebody who's obedient to God to manifest his love to others. That's where we've been. Everybody good with the review? Everybody caught up? Uh, This morning we're going to talk about faith. And we're going to finish up in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, when, I was, <coughs> when I was a young boy, uh, my dad would often say to me, uh, Ryan, get your shoes on. Come with me. Now, I was in the middle of watching TV. I was very busy. Or uh, playing with something. And uh, a question that I would often ask my dad is, why? Now, little did I know that chickens come home to roost. And that my own son will continually ask me now when I say, Micah, get your shoes on. He'll say, why? And I didn't realize the way in which my dad, because I always really irritated my dad, and I never really understood why. Guess what? I understand why now. Here's why that bothers me, is because when I ask Micah to put his shoes on, and he asks why, it's like he's communicating to me this idea that he really doesn't trust what I have in store for him. He'd really rather decide on his own if he's going to follow me or not. You know, if, uh, you know, let me know what it is. If the work sounds too hard, I might come up, <coughs> come up with an excuse. You know, I'm not feeling so. You know, or, you know, if he doesn't like it, because he doesn't really trust me. I think that's exactly what it was that used to irritate my dad. When I'd ask why, it was kind of thrown back in his face this, you know what? I think I'd rather be the one in charge of deciding if I follow where you're asking me to go or not. I think this is similar to what it's like to live the Christian life. Sometimes God says go, right? Now what if we in turn reply back to him, why? And that we're really communicating to God that, you know, unless I see the whole picture now, God, I'm not sure you got this figured out. I got my plans, right? And and I know that if we don't get this taken care of and this taken care of and this taken care of, ain't going to work out. So why is it that you want me to do this? Really what we're saying is, God, we don't trust you. And I'm so nervous about what this might be that we become overcome with worry. There's another illustration that I thought of. It's that of riding a roller coaster. Anybody like roller coasters? Anybody? Just a couple hands. Yeah. So uh, I really didn't so much like roller coasters um, because you think you're going to die. Um, but for people who do like roller coasters, they're all like, yay, 
loving it, right? And uh, I look more like this, you know, just uh, freaking out. Um, And that's somewhat of what I think uh, happens to us when we approach a life that's not filled with faith. Uh, We we desire to have all of the questions answered before we enjoy it. Right? Look, this one's here having a good time. Right? I think this would be the father and the son, but what's going through the son's mind right there? Does he look worried? Yeah. So, when you are overcome with worry, how much fun do you have? Are, are you able to receive the blessing of the journey that God would put you on when you're like, I don't know. I'm not sure about this thing. I mean, I love this picture because not only does it show the father having full confidence that the journey's going to go where it needs to go, but he also has his, do you see how he has his arms? They're not up like this where he's just having a good time, but they're actually coming on either son, side of his child, right? In effort to make sure that even in his son's anxiety, he's still there to protect him. Now, you would think that would be enough for a son to say, all right, I can trust it, but the boy is still white-knuckled, worried. Don't go through life like this. Don't let this be the image of your Christian walk with the Lord. That you're afraid to take the step of faith because you're not sure what might happen next. And don't get me wrong. It's a hard thing in this life. You're going to get the call from the doctor. And you're going to hear from so-and-so that this isn't what we had planned. You're going to find the bank account keeps getting lower and lower. Right? There's going to be more than enough for you to worry about in this life. But God is right there. And he knows what he has called you to. Not only does he know it, but he's going to protect and carry you through the whole way. This morning, our subject is on reformation. Again, to begin to pattern our minds to think the way God thinks and not think like the world. Because the world would ask why. You know, why is it you want me to do this? I need to have all the questions answered before we move forward. That's not how God works at all. We're going to be ending in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. I, like I have mentioned at the outset of all these sermons, I think, again, this is a bit of a difficult message because it changes how we think. It's also a message <coughs> that's really filled with a lot of content, and we got a lot planned today. So, folks, I'm going to move quickly, and I want to ask you to really do your best to just concentrate and pay close attention so that we can get through this uh, in a, a quick amount of time. Uh, it's a difficult subject, We need to confess uh, what the Bible teaches, not what we want it to say. And what we will find as we look at a reformation on faith is that, hear me now, there's a tension with faith. There's a part of it that you have a role to play in and there's a part of it that God owns completely. Make sure that we say what the Bible says and that we avoid the temptation to just make it say what we want it to say. That's really what we're going to try and attempt to do this morning. I included a few misconceptions I believe that people commonly think of about faith. Number one is this. uh, They think faith is something that you need to have the right amount of in order for God to hear you. Why is God not hearing my prayers? Oh, that's because you don't have enough. Yeah, uh, whether you confess that or not, I guarantee you've thought that. You think that because that's how the world works. Right? If you just put in a little bit more capital, you'll get the return that you wanted. And the reason you're not getting the return you wanted is because you're not putting enough in. That's not how faith works. 
And unfortunately, we will find uh, preachers today that are saying this. Many people who are trying to get, convince you to give more money will trick you. They will uh, deceive you in their greed. Saying you need to have more faith. Give a little bit more. And then your prayers will be answered. That's just plain and simply not true. Number two is this. Uh, faith is blind. Kind of a willful, willful ignorance. Uh, if, if I mention the term doctrine or theology, people are really so boring. You know, I, I, I don't really need to know. I don't need to know. Why? Oh, because I have faith. Because I have faith. And, and they're willfully ignorant. Because they misunderstand faith as being founded on something that's true. Do you know where our faith rests? It rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, is that just a story in the Bible, or is that true? That's true. That happened. Our, our faith requires trust. That's really the, the key theme that I want to convey to you this morning, is that your faith requires trust, and sometimes you won't be able to see what that, what, what's in front of you. So you don't ask why, you trust anyways. However, faith is not blind. And for many people who think it is, they'll go through their world and their walk in church thinking, I don't need to know that. We disagree. We don't need to know. And they leave their Bibles closed. Faith is and ought not be built upon a willful ignorance. Number three is this. Some people think faith saves. Uh, we're going to see as we uh, trace our way through God's word uh, that faith plays a necessary component in salvation. But don't confuse it with salvation. In much the same way that prayer in and of itself does not have power... Faith in and of itself does not save you. Who saves you? Jesus Christ saves you. God is the one who justifies you and saves you. The conduit of that relationship is faith. There's a lot of other religions, right? I'm I'm sure you can name three or four of them. World religions that people belong to. And those people claim to be people of what? Faith. They have faith. Now, are they saved? Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. I'm sorry to tell you if this is a, a misconception in your mind, but there is not many ways to God the Father. There's one way. There's one door. There's one gate. His name is Jesus Christ. So faith in and of itself does not save you. God saves you. And it's the right faith. It's the faith that's been handed down from the prophets and the apostles to the church. This is the faith, the body of teaching that we need to place our trust in. So it's not faith alone that saves. Faith, uh, some people think faith is a force. It's a substance by which you can achieve success. This is very similar to the first one, although they confuse faith and they turn it into something ungodly, something idolatrous uh, that, that you can get more of. And again, if you just get more faith, you'll get your way. And faith is not to be used in this manner. It is not a force. It is not a substance. It is instead a gift from God. Number five, some people think only spiritual people need to have faith. Uh, These are the ones who say, um, I need the pastor to pray for me. Because the spiritual one has the faith. Now, I don't need the faith, right? Uh, But I'll, I'll get someone else to do it. And that's just frankly not true. Uh, In fact, do you know that everybody has a faith? Everybody on earth does. Everybody who walks the surface of this earth 
at some point in their life decides where they place their trust. For many people, it's upon uh, scientific fact, right? Unless I can see it with my eyes, touch it with my hands, I'm not going to believe it. Uh, We're going to see today as we recognize someone in Scripture said the same thing. Uh, But this is simply not true. All people express faith, uh, which brings me to my last point. Some people will say, I don't need faith. No, I, I went to church when I was a kid. Or, you know, my mom and my dad, my grandma, she, she was a Christian. And, and, you know, because of that, I'm sure I'm right with God. Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, you won't get to Judgment Day where God would say, why should you be let into the, the eternal inheritance that's been made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ? And your answer is, because my grandma believed. Right? There, there's no one else there except Jesus Christ. That you would find yourself in the shade of his righteousness. Jesus alone saves. And you and I come to him by faith. Not the faith of our fathers, the faith of our mothers, the faith of my pastor. Your expression of faith. Your expression of trust. These are some common misconceptions. So with with this, let's look at what Jesus has to say concerning faith. Matthew chapter 6. Start with me in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little, what's it say? You have little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Is this, who's this sermon for this morning? Is this for anybody today? <sighs> Worry is a reality in this world that we live in. It is a tool of the evil one. Think about this. If the devil can get you to worry, he can stop you dead in your tracks. You will not follow where God leads because you are so afraid that your question is, well, why God is not answered? I listed out some of the dangers of worry. Number one, I put this down. Worry controls and paralyzes you to fear. It will cause you to stay still. Well, something might happen. you You never know. You lock yourself away in a tower. 
and never have the blessing of knowing what it's like for God to lead you. Lois, do you know what it's going to be like when you go down to Voice of the Martyrs? I just give it to God. You've never been there. You don't know. I don't know anything. I'm excited. But still, you're going. You're not paralyzed, right? She could worry. She certainly could. She tells me she doesn't sleep much the night before she travels even. So I'm, I'm certain worry might still be there a little bit, right? But if you continue to allow it to infect your life, you won't do anything. It will control you and make you a slave to fear. Number, one, uh, number two, worry fails to trust God. If you get all of your questions answered, where's your trust? It's in you. That's where it is. But if you're willing to go without having all your questions answered, where's your trust? In God. Do you see what worry does? Worry pulls your trust away from God. Can anyone give me something better to trust in? Even the U.S. Mint, wise enough to print on our money, what's it say? In God we trust. Yeah, I can't think of anything greater than to trust in God. Lord willing, we'll never change that. But worry fails to give God the trust that he deserves. Number three, worry is governed by our experiences. This means that uh, if you don't have what you want, now you get worry, right? But if I do get it, well, now I'm fine. So what is it dependent on? It's dependent on your experience, right? If things are going good, do you have worry? Who worries when things are great? Right, nobody. But when things start going bad, guess what? Who's that knocking on the door? That's worry. Let me in. I'll help you. You you need to recognize this. That worry is a product. Not of your intellect. Not of your faith. It's a product of your experiences. So that what you face now determines how worry controls you. Number four is this. Worry focuses on earthly gain rather, on, rather than on God's kingdom. Um, verse 25 in our text said, uh, Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink. Kind of earthly, right? Or, or what you're going to wear. Kind of earthly, right? If you didn't catch it the first time, he says it again in verse 31, right? Uh, So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? That's where worry is focused. Who here is worried about heaven? Who thinks that the streets of gold might be, I don't know, have a pothole? Anybody nervous about that? No. You're not worried about heaven at all. Where does worry find its traction? Here on earth, right? Because what worry does is it focuses on earthly gain. Oh boy, I'm worried. I had my interview. I'm so worried, right? Whatever it is that I might or might not get causes me to worry, but that's focusing on earth. Answer this. Is that where God wants you to focus? He wants you focusing on heaven. He wants you focusing on treasures in heaven. He wants you focusing on those who aren't yet secured in heaven. Not on earth. This is temporary. You know what he calls us, believers? The Bible says that you are aliens, strangers, sojourners. Do you know what a sojourner is? That's somebody who comes for a while, you know, puts up their tent, and then what? Yeah, when you go camping, you don't stay in the woods. You might want to stay in the woods, but you don't stay in the woods, right? You, you eventually come out. That's a sojourner. 
It's just a traveler. This is what God says you are on earth. This is not your home now. Well, if you let worry have its way, it will keep you focused on earth and not heaven. Uh, Worry fails to believe God's word. Is God going to take care of us? Yes or no? Absolutely. God's going to take care of you. But worry doesn't believe that. Worry doesn't believe that. You can almost hear the echo of worry in the garden where the serpent says to Eve, did God really say, right? What, what, what's the devil doing here? Casting this doubt upon God's word. Can you really trust God? You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you better just put your hand on the scale, tip it in your favor a little bit, right? Just, you know, so you don't worry. Worry fails to believe God's word. Lastly, worry stagnates your decisions to have a life of faith for the ability to walk by faith. Worry will stop you short. Our our message this morning is one on faith. And what I'd like to do is just reform in your mind what faith truly is. So with that in mind, we have to begin here. Number one, your faith comes from God. It comes from God. It's a misunderstanding if you think faith is a product of your own will. And while there's a theological tension here in that we respond by faith, we must confess that it is still God that gives us the ability to express faith. It's not you. It comes from him. Now, don't take my word for it. I want you to see where the word of God teaches this. Romans 12 verse 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has what? So where did faith come from? It came from God. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's the gift from who? From God. Uh, this passage, um, commentators rightly understand that both grace and faith are part of the gift of God. And you'll find some that want to say, well, no, grace is the gift and faith is up to you. They get it wrong. It's not true. If you lump your salvation by the words grace and faith, those are both what? What does it say? A gift from God. Hebrews 12, 2, and I love this one. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Who started your faith story? It was Jesus. So fix your eyes on him. We need to begin there. Reform in your mind that when life hits you and you start to get worried, you remember that you have been given something. Far greater than worry. You have been given faith from God. Secondly is this. Faith, or I'm sorry, God allows trials to do what? To grow our faith. I remember hearing a story in my biology class of a butterfly coming out of its uh, cocoon. And you, you can all remember this, right? In science class and the process of metamorphosis, right? Caterpillar turns into a butterfly. And then after so many weeks, it starts to break itself loose. 
And I remember there, the story was, goes like this. There was a, a teacher and a young boy, and he's watching the butterfly come out, and the butterfly is struggling, and it's struggling to get itself loose. And the boy reaches to help it, but the teacher holds his hand back and says, don't, you have to allow it to struggle. Because it's only through the struggle that those wings get developed such that the blood and the muscles form in the way in which they're designed to form. So that when the struggle is over, the butterfly now has the ability to fly. And if you step in and cut the difficulty short, you'll be depriving that which nature has governed and God has designed so that this creature has what it needs for its future. Don't confuse what you're going through one moment for something that the devil has control over. There's no one in the Bible except for Jesus Christ that had a harder time than poor Job. But you guys know the story of Job? And even Job's story comes by God's sovereignty. The devil's the one who enacts all the bad things that happen. But it was God who brought up Job to the devil. God knows what you're facing. He knows. And the trials you face are designed to produce a perseverance and a maturity and a growing of your faith. Again, don't take my word for it. Romans 5, verses 3 and 5 say, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 6-18 through 18, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. I know some of you are feeling that today, right? How how many pills in the morning? How many pills at night before bed, right? Outwardly, these bodies wear down. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. Right? It sounds just like Jesus, doesn't it? Earthly treasures, temporary stuff. So we fix our eyes on the unseen by faith. James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let produce perseverance finish its work so that you'll be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. The truth is this. God allows trials to grow your faith. Your faith comes from God, and he allows trials to grow it. Number three, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fact. And it's a question of the source of your security. Anyone here ever doubt? Boy, my I just boy, my faith. It's hard sometimes. I just doubt. There's a story we get wrong. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. Turn there with me real quick. I just want to <coughs> point something out to make sure we get this right. John chapter 20. Verse 24. You've got one of Jesus' disciples that's like, look, man, I ain't gonna believe unless I see with my eyes. What do we call this guy? Doubting Thomas, we tend to call him. But I want, I want you to understand the difference from God's word. I got two Greek words up here, and I know we don't read Greek, but there's a major difference between them. All right, in John chapter 20, verse 24, Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, 
was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Did Thomas see the Lord? He's hearing it from his buddies. We have seen him. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it unless I see it, unless I touch it. Right. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. This word doubting here is apistios. Pistios is the word in, in Greek that means faith. And if you put an awe in front of it, you mean the opposite of faith. Uh, kind of like we have um, a theist is someone who believes in God and a atheist is somebody who what? Doesn't believe. It's the same idea here. This is the kind of doubt that you shouldn't have. But what kind of doubt did he have? What, what kind of doubt did Thomas have? He was searching for what? Facts. Did you see it? Because the opposite of faith is fact. Unless I can test it and prove it by science, I ain't ever going to believe. Unless I see with my bare eyes and touch with my hands, I ain't ever going to believe. That's what you are not to have. But there's another place where we see faith and doubt showing up. Go to Matthew chapter 28. It's the very last chapter in Matthew's gospel. We're, we're going to look at verse 17. I have it up on the screen here. But verse 16 says, uh, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some... There's that word again. Doubted. But it is a completely different word. It's the word... Distazo. Can you imagine being there as one of the disciples who had just seen Jesus rise from the dead? Would, would you doubt? You saw him come back to life. Would you doubt? I, I bet you might. I bet you might. Because you know what? They did. And if you've ever had questions, that's okay. That is not the opposite of faith. However, I want you to understand this. Worry breeds this kind of doubt. Because worry longs for facts. I need to see it with my eyes. I need to touch it with my hands. And unless I do, I'm not going to believe. The opposite of faith is not doubt. It's facts. It's the source of your security. Is your security in God? Or is it in you? Which brings us to our next one. Therefore, faith is built on the application of trusting God's word. Key word here being application of trusting. In Romans 10, Paul writes, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. What message? The message heard through the word of Christ. Right here, folks. This is where faith comes from. Faith comes from the Word of God. I would submit to you today that unless you are a disciple of reading the Bible, your faith will be overcome by worry. 
Because faith is found in no other place than God's word. Faith is built on the application of trusting God's word. Number five is this. Faith is actionable confidence. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Um, I've got like 15 minutes of illustrations for this, but Matthew, come here. I'm just going to do a really brief one real quick. All right. Now, you're not allowed to do this except unless the pastor says, so stand right there. Stand up, stand up. Now, face everybody. This is so difficult. Now, what I want you to do is fall straight back. And when I say, and I'm going to get you. you got to face that direction, though. You can't look. I'm, I'm, I'm totally going to get you. All right? Now, let me ask you. Do you believe I'm strong enough to do that? <laughs> so he, he, he believes I'm strong enough, right? Uh, question, do you believe God is strong enough to help you in your circumstances? Do you? Yes. Yeah, you do. Now, if I ask him if he believes, I still don't know if he has faith. Why? Because he hasn't what? Demonstrated. He hasn't demonstrated. Remember, faith is actionable confidence. He might have confidence, but until it becomes actionable, I don't know if it's true or not. All right, ready? One. No, I'm just joking. You come back. <laughs> Turn with me to the book of James very quickly. I want you to see how James uh, recounts the need for faith to be displayed as actionable. <laughs> James chapter 2. Uh, look with me in verse 14. Helen, you have a page for me. 1882 in the Pew Bibles. James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? It's a, it's a rhetorical question. It means no. You, you, you say you have confidence, but you don't because there's no action behind it. You're not living out of faith. Suppose a brother or sister without clothes or daily food and one of you says to him, go, I, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. Remember, what did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it's dead. I'm, I'm going to leave this for you to read more on your own. Finish chapter 2 because James is going to continue to teach us what faith looks like by being actionable. And lastly is this, justification comes by faith. You don't please God through works. Church attendance, baptism, confirmation, they do not earn your salvation. Your salvation comes only through faith. So Paul writes in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians 2, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Do you know what the word justified means? It's the idea of a courtroom, and there's a judge with a gavel, and he says, Not guilty! That's justified. All right? Or... What does he say? Guilty, right? Well, before the Creator God, because of Jesus Christ, you have been declared not guilty. That's this word justified. He says we've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus. 
that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. How do you guys feel? Are we clear on this? This takes longer than a Sunday morning. I apologize for that, but I would be delinquent in my responsibilities if I didn't explain what Jesus is saying to us. Don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll wear. Don't worry about the money in the bank. Does God not know what you need? Here's my recommendation to you. Number one, worry is a sin. You need to know that. You, when you confess, include this. God, I just confess. (laughs) I'm trying to do it on my own. I'm asking you why instead of saying, yes, sir, I'm putting my shoes on. I'm coming with you. I don't care where we go. I believe you will lead me to that which is good. Which, let me tell you, by the way, my dad would always get me a treat after we'd work. I do the same thing. I make sure that when I take Micah out and we do a job, I love to reward him with a donut or getting a, you know, pick out a muffin at the gas station or something. Right? It always makes it worth your time. Does God not reward you when you trust him by faith? My recommendation is this. Uh, don't worry, be... Well, you know... <laughs> That, that's what the world would say, right? That's what the world would say. Because you know what I'd rather have from my son when I say, come get your shoes on? I don't want him to worry and ask me why, but it's not because I want him to be happy. Do you know what it is? It's because I want him to be my son. That's what I want. My, my son is my helper, right? He is the one that I am framing to grow and understand the faith that I have, the skills that God has given me. That's what I want him to be. And so my recommendation to you is don't worry, but be holy. That's far more important than your happiness. God will bless you. Don't get me wrong. God will bless you. But you don't put worry aside just so you're, ah, life's great. No, that's not what God wants from you. He wants your holiness. And this is what he says. You got to hold on to this, church. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything else will be added to you. Amen.